Hi, I'm Bill Osmolsky with the McIver Institute. Welcome to this edition of the McIver Newsmakers Podcast. We're joined today by Corey DeAngelis from the American Federation of Children. Hey, Corey, thank you very much for making time for us today. Um, can you just give us a little bit of background? Um, you know, what is your uh, connection to school choice and why, why are you traveling around the country talking about it? Yeah, I'm Corey DeAngelis. I'm a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children, and I push to fund students, not systems. Some people in the liberal, liberal media have called me the school choice evangelist. It has a ring to it, doesn't it? DeAngelis, the evangelist. Actually, so much so that I put it on my Twitter bio, Corey DeAngelis, school choice evangelist. In uh, Oklahoma, a representative on the Democrat side recently called me the school voucher king. Maybe I'll add that to my bio as well. Do you do but, altar calls at your, uh, at your speaking engagements? Oh, yeah. Everybody, everybody uh, pumped about uh, educational freedom, which is easy to do these days. Uh, but look, uh, I've researched school choice. I did my PhD in education policy. One of my first studies actually linked the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program to reductions in criminal activity later on in life. I used state, uh, uh, the uh, student-level data from the longitudinal evaluation of the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program, which has been around for over three decades now, and was able to track those individual students using the program con compared to the children in the public schools after matching based on several background characteristics like whether you're in a single parent household, income levels, uh, the race of the students, and other uh, uh, zip code and other characteristics as well, finding statistically significant reductions in crime and the likelihood of being involved in a paternity dispute as well later on in life. Things that parents really care about much more than standardized test scores. Uh, so I started this as a researcher. I also benefited from school choice in high school in Texas uh, where I grew up. I attended public schools all through K through 12, but I had the uh, ability to go to a, a magnet school in uh, Texas, and I felt like that was a good opportunity for me, and other families should have access to educational options as well, but it shouldn't be limited to schools that are run by the government. You should be able to choose uh, public schools, private schools, charter schools, or home-based education options, and the money should follow the child to the education provider that best meets their needs. Again, that could be the public school. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school, unlike with the whole doctor thing a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. For real, this with school choice initiatives, the funding can follow you to that same public school that, that you had before, and that option is and still should be on the table. So you were here in Wisconsin today. Um, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the event that you were here for and uh, you know what was your main message today? Yeah, the title of the talk was Funding Students Instead of Systems, The Case for Educational Freedom. And I just talked about the idea of school choice and uh, which the, the way that I'd like to explain it is anything that allows families to take their children's education dollars to an alternative provider other than the one that's assigned to them by the government, a residentially assigned government-run institution, allowing that family to take that funding to a private charter or home-based education option. And it's really uh, pre uh, relevant today because we've seen a lot of success on the school choice front, uh, particularly because the teachers unions have overplayed their hand and awakened a sleeping giant, parents who just want more of a say in their kids' education, uh, Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions pushed to keep the schools closed as long as possible starting in 2020. And they even lobbied the CDC to make it more difficult to reopen schools in person. And they were able to hold children's education hostage to secure multiple multi-billion dollar ransom payments from the government. And it actually worked for them. They were able to secure about $190 billion in so-called COVID relief since March of 2020, which turned out to be about three to $4,000 per student. 
money wasn't even contingent upon reopening the schools. And the, the fact of the matter is the push to keep schools closed for so long it was always more to do with politics and power dynamics than safety and the needs of children. So parents have woken up and they're never going back to sleep. They felt powerless in 2020 and they're going to push to make sure they never feel powerless like that ever again. And the good news is when the schools were closed for so long, parents got to see what was going on in the classroom, which uh, ignited a spark for a, a renewed push for school choice policies because parents don't want to feel like they're sending their kids to an institution that's brainwashing them for 13 years in ways that aren't aligned with their values. Vody Bauckham said it best, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Well, the good news is parents aren't surprised anymore. They've woken up. They're never going back to sleep. They're holding politicians accountable at the, at the school boards and at the a ballot box, too. And it has become politically advantageous to support parental rights in education. In some cases, it has become a form of political suicide to oppose parental rights in education. Uh, there wasn't a red wave in the midterms. There wasn't a, a blue wave, obviously, but there was a school choice wave. 76% uh, of the candidates supported by my organization, the American Federation for Children, won their races in 2022. And we didn't just play in the easy races. We targeted 69 incumbents for coming out against parental rights in education, and we took out 40 of them. <coughs> the message became clear, support parental rights in education or lose your job. And you don't have to take my statistics and words for it. You can look at the uh, liberal tears in the New Yorker magazine where the liberal author lamented that education freedom candidates fared depressingly well in the midterms. Well, they can just go cry harder because although that's bad news for socialists who want to control other people's kids, it's great news for parents who just want more of a say in their own kids' education. And the reason that things have changed is because parents have gotten up and, and pushed for policies that support parental rights in education. For far too long in K-12 education, the only special interests represented the adults, the employees in the system. But now, thankfully, the kids have a union of their own and they're called parents. And so I'm optimistic these wins will continue going forward. In 2021, we called it the year of school choice. We had 19 states enact or expand programs to fund students as opposed to systems. And then in 2022, Arizona went all in and won up to all, all the rest of the country by allowing every single family, regardless of income, regardless of background, regardless of zip code, to be able to take their children's state-funded education dollars, about $7,000 per, per child in Arizona, to the education provider of their choosing, public, private, charter, or otherwise, or, or a home-based education option as well. Arizona was the first government school monopoly domino to fall, and since then we've had uh, five states now total going all in on school choice, 10% of U.S. states going all in on school choice in the past two years alone, Arizona, West Virginia, Iowa, Utah, and Arkansas's legislature just passed universal school choice as well for all families. And so we've, ex we've reached escape velocity. There's not a dang thing the teachers unions can do to stop it. And the best part about it is it's their own dang fault for pushing to keep the schools closed overplaying their hand and showing that the school closures were more about politics than what the, the kids actually needed. The hypocrisy was on full display. You had politicians sending their own kids to in-person private school while dooming the public school kids to remote learning, which we should change what we call it to remotely learning because there wasn't a lot of learning going on. Uh, parents want more of a say in their kids' education. It's happening. There's nothing the teachers unions can do to stop it in the long run. 
and red states in particular right now are engaging in friendly competition to empower all families with education freedom. I've, I've listed five states that have already gone all in, but we have other states on deck. Texas looks like they'll be able to pass a program this year. Oklahoma's house already passed the universal school choice program this year for every single family. Florida has a bill in the Senate and a bill in the House to expand their existing school choice programs to all families. Uh, you have action going in Idaho. Uh, you have action going on in Ohio and Indiana. Nebraska looks like they finally have the two-thirds votes needed to pass school choice for the first time in Nebraska history through their unicameral legislature as well, and they're actually debating that bill uh, this week. So there's a lot of things to be excited about, but you might ask about Wisconsin and what the heck's happening here. Wisconsin has been a leader on school choice for a long time, for decades, starting with the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program, now having the statewide Parental Choice Program in the state as well, but it hasn't gone all in. Wisconsin uh, legislators in Wisconsin, particularly the Republicans, pushed universal school choice uh, uh, I believe last year it passed through the House, the Assembly and the Senate overwhelmingly, but uh, Governor Evers vetoed the bill uh, and the, the Republicans did not have the over, override majorities to, to override the veto of, of Governor Evers. So one man stood in the way of unleashing education freedom for every single parent in the state of Wisconsin. It's a shame that that happened. Hopefully more families wake up in the state of Wisconsin to understand actually, actually what's going on, how there's one politician, the governor of Wisconsin, blocking school choice for every single parent after the legislature already passed it uh, in overwhelming numbers. Now, um, here in Wisconsin, you know, this started off as a bipartisan issue. Um, you know, Polly Williams in Milwaukee helped, you know, launch this whole thing with Tommy Thompson. And, you know, through the years, I mean, up until, you know, even within the past 10 years, I think there were still Democrats in Wisconsin that, that would at least, you know, quietly support the choice program. Today, I mean, there's none of that anymore. Are you seeing any bipartisanship in other states? And is there a way to kind of start, you know, uh, bridging that gap? Yeah, it depends on the state. For the most part, it is the red states passing school choice. But in some of those red states, you do have some Democrats coming along. I just mentioned Nebraska. There are two co-sponsors on a bill that's backed by Jim Pillen, the governor, uh, to create a new tax credit scholarship program that's pretty dang expansive. They have no private school choice in the state right now, but it looks like they're going to take a big leap forward towards uh, empowering parents with choice. They have two Democrat co-sponsors, and one of them is named uh, Justin Wayne and he's a, a great advocate for school choice and he went viral a couple of years ago debating the same kind of bill uh, run by a Republican where he called out his colleagues on the Senate floor and said hey if, if you send your own kids to private school all of you guys in, in my failing schools in my district in Omaha I'll vote against this bill obviously his hypocritical colleagues did not uh, uh, take him up on that offer and they kept their kids in the private school system. So you do have some people def defecting from the Democratic Party on the issue, seeing that you know, the parents' party, uh, the, the, the parent union or the, the kids' union, is more influential and, and more of the right thing to do than the teachers' union in some states. In, um, in Pennsylvania, there was Josh Shapiro, the attorney general, was running for governor. He's now the governor of Pennsylvania. He beat Doug Mastriano. 
He was already up in the polls by double digits, and he quietly changed his education platform to include Lifeline Scholarships, which is a form of an education savings account. It was a bill run by a Republican and passed through their GOP-controlled House just in 2022. He put that into his education platform, and a lot of people were saying, you know, maybe he's just reading the tea leaves. He's looking at the polling numbers. He wasn't actually, you know, supporting. He didn't have a real change of heart. And my response to, the, to people saying this was, it doesn't really matter the reason. The way Milton Friedman put it, and Milton Friedman's on the back of my phone and has been for several years now, I think like eight years now, is that it's not about getting the right people into office. It's about creating a political climate of opinion where it becomes politically profitable for the wrong people to do the right things. And the good news now is because parents have woken up, it's starting to become more politically advantageous to support parental rights in education. It's becoming politically detrimental in some cases to come out against parental rights in education. So actually, I think the more that the GOP leans into parental rights as a political winner, the more it becomes politically disastrous for Democrats to oppose it. I think in the future, going forward, we see that there might be, almost counterintuitively, bipartisanship through hyperpartisanship. The more that the GOP wins on the issue and becomes the parents' party, the more Democrats have to start scratching their heads a little bit and start to think, do I choose the kids' union or the teachers' union? And when more and more defect, I think it'll become more of a bipartisan issue like we saw with Josh Shapiro supporting it, even though he was up in the polls by double digits in the state of Pennsylvania. He was also starting to get called out by Doug Mastriano on uh, uh, school choice hypocrisy because Josh Shapiro exclusively attended private schools, sends all of his kids to private schools. He was able to deflect against those accusations of hypocrisy by saying, well, actually, I do support school choice for other families as well. And so it's a political winner. It's, it's the right thing to do. The money doesn't belong to the institutions, not, doesn't belong to the government schools. It doesn't belong to the private schools either. Education funding is supposed to be meant for educating children, not for propping up and protecting a particular institution. So we should fund the student, not the system. More families are figuring that out. More politicians are figuring it out. Not just that it's the right thing to do, but that it's a political winner at the same time. And I think that's why we're seeing a groundswell of support a universal school choice revolution that has ignited all across the country. It'll probably be the red states to lead on the issue, but at some point, blue states may come along as well, or those blue states may change to red states if Democrats keep losing at the ballot box when it comes to this particular issue. What's, um, when it comes <coughs> to universal school choice, um, have there been any states that have had it long enough to start to see like what the impact it has on, you know, say the public schools yeah. in that state? The, the main argument you hear against school choice over and over again that we've heard for decades is that school choice will defund or dismantle the public schools. Nothing could be further from the truth. First of all, the money doesn't belong to the government schools. Education funding is meant for educating the child. If anything, school choice doesn't defund public schools. Public schools defund families. School choice initiatives just return that money to the hands of the rightful owners or at least the intended beneficiaries of that funding. And in fact, in most states, it's only a fraction of the funding that would have been spent on the child in the public schools that actually follows them. So in Iowa, for example, they just passed a program that was about $7,000 per student. Iowa public schools spend over double that amount. They get to keep thousands of dollars per student, the local funding and the federal funding, for students who are no longer there. So if anything, they end up with higher per student revenues and expenditures. Just imagine if you stopped shopping at Walmart and you wanted to start shopping at Trader Joe's for whatever reason and Walmart got to keep half of your grocery 
uh, funding in perpetuity. That wouldn't make any sense, but it would be a good deal for Walmart. I would argue that school choice is similarly a good deal for the public schools that they get to keep any money at all for students they're no longer educating. And oh, by the way, if you're doing a good job, you won't lose any students at all. You might, you, I hear people some, in, in the same people making the same argument that on the one hand, our public schools are great, everybody loves our public schools, which pe a lot of people do love their public schools. But then they'll turn around and say, this is gonna dismantle and destroy our public schools. Which one is it? If your public schools are doing a fantastic job, the best ones aren't gonna lose their students. Uh, so you're, they're basically admitting that they believe families aren't happy with what they're getting. It's an admission of failure. That's an argument to allow families to have choice, not to trap them into schools that aren't working for them for 13 years, particularly because the most advantaged families, whether we like it or not, already have school choice. The most advantaged can already afford to send their kids to private school and pay out of pocket, essentially paying twice, once through taxes for the public school, and then out of pocket for the private school, paying for two things, only getting one of, uh, one of the providers of the service. The least advantaged, are the most likely to be stuck in the worst government schools and not to be able to afford to pay for private school tuition and fees. So school choice, in a sense, is an equalizer. It allows more families to have access to educational opportunities than we have in the current system and the status quo. Uh, and look, the money doesn't belong to the schools. It belongs to the families. More families are, are understanding that they should have the right to choose for their children. I think it'll become more bipartisan in the future. When you ask voters, it's not a partisan issue. The latest Real Clear Opinion Research polling, first of all, found a, an eight percentage point jump in support since April of 2020 for school choice uh, nationwide. But they also found supermajority support among Republicans, Democrats, and independents. I'm from Texas. We have similar polling coming out of UT Austin, UT Tyler, University of Houston, uh, and other pollsters finding uh, support uh, from a majority of Texans and uh, splitting across party lines as well when it comes to, and racial lines as well. For, for, in, in fact, the latest Texas polling found that the highest level of, of support for school vouchers in Texas, and they use the voucher terminology, which is biased against school choice. Um, in, in, in Texas, they're actually pushing for education savings accounts as opposed to vouchers or scholarships. But they still found that the highest support was among black Democrats. Uh, and so this, this is not a partisan issue when it comes to families and what they want for their children. It's just that it has become partisan when it comes to elected officials because Randy Weingarten's American Federation of Teachers and, and the other teachers unions, in 2022, the AFT contributed 99.97% of their campaign contributions to Democrats as opposed to Republicans. So it's partisan in the sense that elected officials have a strong incentive on the Democratic side to listen to the teachers union as opposed to what the kids needs because they're, they're one of their major campaign contributors. And so that's also why this can be a political winner for Republicans. The, the Democrats in some places, if they're overly reliant on campaign contributions from the teachers unions, they're in a catch-22 situation because if they come out in favor of parental rights in education, their union bosses will be mad at them. If they come out against parental rights in education, well, well, there's a new special interest group in town now. The parents who want more of a say in their kids' education. And so if Republicans want to give a gift to Democrats, they won't say a word about school choice because then the Democrats will get a pass. They won't have to take a side. But if the Republicans lean into this, like we saw with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, who in a state that went 10 points to Biden just the year before, in 2021, Glenn Youngkin won on the issue of education by 
by six points with education voters and two points overall. And education, according to Washington Post exit polling, was the number two issue in that election because Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat, who was former governor of, of uh, Virginia, said on the final debate stage, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. That backfired, and instead of uh, reversing course, he quadrupled down on the anti-parent rhetoric, and it blew up in his face. Glenn Youngkin is now the governor of Virginia, and it's because of the parent lobby. Parents have woken up. They're pushing back at the school board meetings, but they're pushing back at the ballot box, too, and that gives me hope for the future. We've, we've reached escape velocity. So many states are going all in. If even just one state went universal in a decade uh, in years past, that would be a major victory for school choice. We've had five go universal in just two years. This is a school choice revolution. The dominoes are falling, and there's not a dang thing Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions can do about it. In fact, we should probably start funding Randy Weingarten because she's doing so much to advance our cause by stepping in, in, in it so many times week after week. In fact, I woke up to a tweet from her just a few months ago. I thought it was a Babylon Bee article, or I thought I was having a dream. It was neither. It was actually a real tweet from Randy Weingarten in Ukraine where she said that she was there at the front lines to assess the situation. What was she going to do, make the war go remote like she did with the schools? Uh, so she just keeps stepping in it, and I'm thankful for her efforts to, uh, to, to, to overplay her hand uh, and show parents uh, that they really need a say in their kids' education. Now, when you come to Wisconsin and you tell all these success stories from around the country, do your friends in Wisconsin get excited or do they hang their heads uh, just, you know, lamenting the situation here right now? Look, Wisconsin could have been the leader on this issue, uh, according to the, you know, the legislature passing universal school choice for, for, you know, for all families. So, in a way, uh, Wisconsin was this close to being the at the forefront and and look Wisconsin has been at the forefront because of having private school choice programs in the state for decades now but what I'm referring to is having school choice for every single family that's what gets people really riled up because it is what Milton Friedman was envisioning uh, decades ago it is uh, the fruits of his his efforts uh, uh, coming into fruition uh, over the past few years and it's it's coming very quickly uh, and although v, uh, v, Evers vetoed the bill last year uh, to empower all families with school choice, it should give uh, people here in Wisconsin hope that other states are engaging in this friendly competition and that Democrats, at least in other, in other places, are seeing that they need to, to adjust on the issue. I mean, we saw in Wisconsin, this must have been years, uh, not years, but several months ago now, I remember tweeting out a tweet from a representative here. I believe her last name is Snodgrass. Mm -hmm. And she tweeted something along the lines of, you know, if you want to, if parents want to have a say in their kids' education, they should just pay for private school. Ended up deleting the tweet. And when I, when I posted a screenshot of the deleted tweet, it got over 30,000 likes in like just a few days. It went viral. And because it was a failure from the, the, the politician on a couple of counts. One, it was basically Marie Antoinette uh, would be proud of her for what was said because essentially that representative was saying, let them eat cake. Yeah, you can have school choice if you want. You could just pay for it yourself. 
Not everybody can just pay twice and pay all of this money for private school tuition. Why not reallocate the dollars from the schools to the parents and let less advantaged families exercise school choice too? Uh, so that came off as um, uh, kind of elitists, not allowing low-income families to have that choice. But then too is kind of admission that the public schools aren't really giving parents a say because the representative said, well, if you want to have a say, you can pay for private school. Well, what does that say? What is that person saying about the representative saying about the public schools? It was just a, a, a miscalculation on so many ways. You can call it a miscalculation. You could also say it was letting the mask slip, that uh, those feelings came out. She said the quiet part out loud. And that the tweet was deleted gives me some hope that even Wisconsin politicians are saying, you know, maybe I should actually you know, try to rebrand how I talk about this, not be so disrespectful for parents, because maybe in the past it was okay to say these things out loud because there wasn't as much parental discontent with what's going on in the school system right now, especially after the school closures after the past couple of years. Parents are paying attention now, and this backfire gives me hope for, uh, for politicians to start putting their finger in the wind, and perhaps some will some more will continue to defect towards supporting parental rights in education, even in, in, in Wisconsin. Have you, uh, have you taken another, uh, a recent look at the situation in Milwaukee since, you know, you, you got your start doing that research? Have you kind of like kept up to date on what's going on there? And, you know, if you have, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so my latest study was actually published in 2020 or 2021 out of Milwaukee. I can't remember which year, but it was the follow-up study of my initial evaluation that was peer-reviewed in 2019, both of them finding that at different points in time, uh, the latest evaluation looking at the kids in the sample by the time they turned around 25 to 30 years of age, uh, both evaluations peer-reviewed now finding statistically significant reductions in crime getting uh, from getting access to the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program. So a lot of people have made the case for school choice based on low test scores in the public schools. That's part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think what's more important to, in, in the minds of parents is, is my kid in a safe environment? Are they going to be less likely to be involved in gang activity? Are they going to get into fights at school? Uh, how is their mental health doing? There's a lot of different dimensions of school. Is the school aligned with my values in, in, when it comes to the curriculum and how the teachers are teaching that curriculum? That's way more important than anything that could be captured on a standardized test, which is also important, but not the whole story. And I think that's kind of changed the argument for school choice. And uh, this is also why I wanted to look at things like paternity disputes. And we found a 38% reduction in paternity disputes <laughs> by the time the students were uh, 25 to 30 years of age, which could be, could be caused by teenage pregnancy. And there's another study out of New York City by Harvard and Princeton researchers one of the, in one of the top eco economics journals. I think that was published in 2015. They used random lottery, finding that if you randomly got the chance to go to a charter school, it completely eliminated the chances of incarceration for male students, hmm. which is similar to our findings. And they also found a 59% a reduction in the likelihood for female students to report a teenage pregnancy, which could be linked to what we're seeing in the reduction in paternity dispute, the disputes associated with the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program. We've also seen over the years five studies coming at least out of Milwaukee, all finding statistically significant positive effects of private school competition through the choice program on public school outcomes. So school choice has been a rising tide that lifts all boats because public schools up their game in response to competition. We've seen that in Milwaukee. We've seen that in other places around the country as well. 
Florida has had about 11 studies on the topic, 10 of them finding significant positive effects. So the evidence is overwhelmingly positive. There's 29 of these studies nationwide, 26 of them finding statistically significant positive effects of private school choice competition on the outcomes in the public schools. No one in the school choice movement wants to destroy public schools or dismantle public schools like the fear mongers uh, from the status quo say. We want to make them better, and school choice and competition is one way to do that. I would argue the best way to do that because the only form of true accountability is from the bottom up, allowing families to vote with their feet to providers that best meet their needs and align with their values. Just like in any other institution in any other market or industry, competition works with education like it does elsewhere, and we've seen that in Milwaukee. We've also seen a peer-reviewed study from 2013, I want to say, finding that access to the Milwaukee Parental Choice Program using the same sample of students that I used in my evaluations, different team of researchers, found about a 3 to 4% increase in the likelihood of graduating from high school, which could benefit the taxpayers from increased tax revenues and earnings later on in life. Uh, so we've seen that school choice can be a win-win solution in Milwaukee and in other areas. All right, so coming off of all these victories over the past year, um, what, what do you, where do you see things going in the next in, in the next few years? Like, where, where are your plans? Like, how are you gonna you know kind of really um, capitalize on these gains? I think the biggest gains that are already happening right now are in red states. We'll see more friendly red state competition of, of states going on. We would have never imagined this a few years ago for five states in two years to go universal on school choice. It was kind of a theoretical thing that you know most of the victories were incremental. They were kind of like you start. For with, with students with special needs, or maybe you start a program for students that are low income, and usually it either stays that way for a very long time or you creep up on the income caps little by little. Now we're seeing states go from zero to 100, and it's just because they understand that all families have a right to a publicly funded education, and that doesn't have to happen in a government school. That can happen in a private school or charter school or a home-based learning option. That money's meant for the child, not just some students. We shouldn't um, pick and choose winners and losers. We should go all in and allow every single family, not just certain categories, to be eligible. And more states are figuring that out. And this universal revolution that has ignited will spread to other states. It's going to be the red states that move first. But the more, but in the short run, while the GOP will, will get some victories at the ballot box because of them leaning in, becoming the first mover, being the parents' party. The Democratic Party hopefully will come along as well. This is a bipartisan issue with voters. Hopefully, it'll become more of a bipartisan issue in the in the future, a nonpartisan issue. And the way to do that, however, is to make it politically advantageous to support parental rights and education. And that's not something that just magically happens, but it happens as a result of interests on the ground organizing to support their uh, their interests and this happens to be the parent lobby that has emerged and that's the change agent uh, I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon a lot of people said in 2021 you know we had all these victories this year this was the year of school choice do you think it's gonna stop and even at the time I said I don't think it's going to stop because although the schools are now open for the most part the problems are still there the the school closures were just one part of the explanation for more school choice programs being enacted. The other issue um, that I think is even more important is parents seeing this other 
factor, this other dimension of school quality. Parents who thought that their kids were in, in great public schools, maybe they were A-rated schools by the state. Maybe their kids were coming home with all A's on their report card. Maybe their kids did phenomenal when it came to math and reading test scores. Those same parents started to see that they were missing part of the puzzle. That something that's more important is whether your kids are being raised in ways that align with their values. And in all too many cases, parents were seeing that those children, their own children, were being indoctrinated in ways that, that didn't align with their values. Their kids were learning to hate their parents. And that's more likely to mobilize parents than anything else. And the other issue is, even if a state uh, passes something like a, a ban on certain concepts, and some red states have done this, ban on CRT, ban on divisive concepts, that doesn't get to the root cause of the issue, which is millions of families with di differences in how they want to raise their kids are forced into this one-size-fits-all system that, by definition, will never meet the needs of individual families. Families dif disagree about how they want their kids raised, and that's okay. The problem is, in the current system, through the government process, you have one group, and special interests in particular, getting to force their views on everybody else's kids. And that there's no way out of that. The only way out of that, through freedom as opposed to force, is to allow families to choose education providers that best meet their needs and align with their values. And at the same time, that should give the public schools an additional incentive to focus on education as opposed to indoctrination. Because if you're suddenly in the market and you have to compete, it, it'll create problems for you, whether you go too far right or too far left, if you're in a competitive market. So you're better, in, because most parents want the basics as opposed to politicization of the classroom, the schools should organically start to respond by focusing more on the basics as opposed to uh, politicizing curriculum. Uh, and so I think that's how it'll play out going forward. And uh, I'm optimistic. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, it's been great talking with you and I really appreciate you making time for us today. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us for this edition of the McIver Newsmakers podcast. 